0: Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Growing Lean podcast, sponsored by Lean Discovery Group, an award-winning software and app development firm based out of Virginia. This is your host, Dylan Burke, also known as Deej. I'm happy to be here with Gabe Bentz, CEO of Slant3D. Welcome, Gabe. Hey, Dylan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm excited to hear about your journey. Can you get us started and Give us a little bit of uh, your history and background and how you ended up where you are today.
1: Um, so I'm a, originally a mechanical engineer. I, I was trained in robotics and that kind of thing. And that was kind of the start of my career was working in uh, space robotics and then moving into consumer robotics. Um, but up until about 2015, I was working at a product design firm where we did consumer products and that kind of stuff. Um, but while we were there, uh, we started. We created a small project that had to be three D printed mainly because we were lazy and we didn't want to go for molds to make the thing. Um, because at that point, the molds would have just been super expensive because you'd have to spend a hundred thousand dollars for the molds, and then you start getting your parts. So we decided to print them because it was viable at that point. But that product was way more successful than we had originally anticipated, which is a well shucks darn. But uh, we. Ended up producing it with printing and we saw how terrible that process was. Um, But as engineers, we kind of identified that there was a roadmap to where 3D printing could be made reliable and scalable to where it could replace injection molding. So that you no longer have the molds, no longer all the warehousing and process around traditional manufacturing. And instead could just print stuff on demand. So we started working on that. And in 2019 Slant 3D... Uh, was spun out as a production 3D printing company. And anymore, we work on kind of that main North Star goal of building a warehouse where the shelves make the product so that nothing ever actually exists until somebody actually buys it. And right now our main mega farm here in Boise is spec out for 3000 machines. And we work with everybody from Amazon to individual Etsy stores who want print on demand products. Um, but at scale. So whether they are making a cookie cutter for a single bakery somewhere in the background or are going to be the next fidget spinners that just go viral and blow up and make millions of them, we're able to support them through both stages of that kind of uh, growth and scale.
0: Okay, that that's amazing. Um, and it's super cool that you've taken the print-on-demand concept and put it into the 3D printing world. That's I've never heard of that. that. That's epic. And just one question from my side is when 3D printing became a thing, I don't know, more mainstream like 10 years ago or so, um, it yeah. was like super expensive and it took like really long to to print something. Is What has changed since then that's made it a viable business option like yours? A lot
1: of the, the problems with printing that people had from, yeah, the early old days and that kind of thing was, sort of the perception that it was slow, crappy, and expensive. Um, None of those were really part of the process itself. Because if you look at printing, you put in electricity and you put in plastic, and a finished part comes out. The problem, the reason it was always expensive is because you had a human touching it too much, like a human pulling it off the machine or a human looking at it and inspecting it, which would make a a 50-cent part suddenly cost 25 or 50 bucks because there's so many people touching it. What we really focused on was the automation aspect so that when a part comes off the machine, it can go straight into a box and out the door and can be done at scale. So when a machine finishes a part, it ejects the part and moves on to the next one. A robot comes by, grabs the pieces and carries them off to where they're going to be packed up so that the the human touch is a lot less, which makes it much more of a manufacturing process than like a boutique kind of prototyping artisan process, which is really what it was in the early days where... The, the single wizards who knew 3D printing were able to get their printer and make your part for you, but it was really expensive. Um, but since we were able to deploy these um, tons of machines, with if you have thousands of machines, you're now making thousands of parts per hour pretty easily, even though the individual machine might be slow, but they're also reliable and there's enough automation to where you don't have people looking at it, which kind of solve all those problems of, of speed and capacity and uh, cost pretty easily.
0: Okay, hundred percent. And how long, or how long would it take to print, like, let's say, a fidget spinner, for example?
1: A fidget spinner might take as long as like an hour to print. Um, so it takes an hour to grow a single part, which is really slow for a part. But if you parallelize that across like a thousand machines, you're making a thousand of those fidget spinners an hour. So you still have the scale, so long as those individual machines are affordable enough to deploy at that level. So just like server farms are able to support thousands of people watching a high def movie at once, we're able to produce thousands of parts produced at the same rate per project rather than rate per part.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And I saw that um, one of your, or in your LinkedIn bio, it says you're taking the molds out of the printing um, world. And that that's really awesome. So you don't really need to have one machine to one product. You can have one machine to thousands of products, which... Yeah you no no, just burned my mind. That that's awesome.
1: It's really sick because yeah, you're no longer setting your your product in stone, which is literally what you're doing when you're doing a mold. You're carving it into a rock, and that rock is going <laughs> to produce every part of your parts from now on. Um 3D printing is totally digital. So that yes, all you have to do is upload a file and your part is now in production. If somebody orders that file, that digital information is sent to the machines, they grow the part, and then the part is sent to the one person who ordered it. So you never have inventory. You never have that upfront cost of the molds setting it in stone. Um, and you can change your part over time, which is an advantage people don't really realize. Because as soon as you have uploaded that model, if you get customer feedback and they say, oh, well, you need a hole there or we want a different color or whatever else it was, you can just update that digital information and every part going forward will be changed as if you had just
0: updated an app, but you're able to do it with physical stuff. That's That's amazing. Yeah, that's... That's huge. And would you say your I I'd, I'd think that your main customers would be like dropshippers and e-commerce um, guys. Is that correct? A lot of a lot of those guys who are doing e-commerce and yeah, trying to
1: find an alternative to T-shirts and mugs because they're able to create truly original products now rather than just a, a different logo stapled across the chest. Um, so a lot of those guys do it. Um, but then on the other side, we have a big kind of B2B component where companies will connect with us for like spare parts and that kind of thing. So that rather than storing spare parts for 10 years, the, through the life of whatever they might need, they just upload the file. And if somebody needs to buy that piece within the organization, they just go up and say, oh, well, we need that washer or that bracket or that box. Um, and they get that hardware, those kind of spare pieces or infrastructure kind of pieces for a corporate client.
0: Okay, that's, that's awesome. I love that. And what is your, can you run me through your overall business strategy?
1: Uh, which part of it that that's the, the whole business plan would take an hour or two or something (laughs) on those, but our, our main goal is to be an alternative to injection molding because molding is such a monolithic, slow and expensive process. Basically we're taking a startup process that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and taking it down to like hundreds of dollars. So it's a 10 to hundred X improvement over waste, the way stuff is made. So the way we go about like getting clients on board and, into that is really showing them how 3D printed parts can be equivalent or better to traditionally manufactured. Um, not only through the cost because you no longer have this big startup cost with traditional manufacturing, but also through the engineering and how can you get a high quality part and how can it be reliable and how does your supply chain change now that you no longer need molds, no longer need warehousing, no longer need ships full of containers moving stuff. You just have to kind of plan and project around the parts that you need so when we're talking to customers and bringing on customers it's that conversation of like how can you kind of readjust what you do as minimally as possible but readjust it so that you can really take advantage of what this technology does for you
0: okay i love that and so you said it, it brings down the costs if if you were to buy in bulk right so what how does your cost compare, let's say, one for one, if you're buying from China or something like that?
1: So if you were buying parts from China in a, a traditional method, you would call up the factory over there and you'd say, OK, I need a mold made. And they'd charge you ten dollars to $100,000 for the molds to be made. That's the first start. And then you get your first part. Then in order to make that mold pay for itself, you need to make about 10,000 to 100,000 parts which will cost anywhere from 25 cents to a dollar, let's say, if it's like a fidget spinner size item. Um, So now you have another 10 to $50,000 for just the parts themselves. So now you're $150,000 in and you've got your batch of parts and now you ship them over in a container and you have to store them for the next three years and hope everybody buys them. Um, So there's a huge amount of risk for all of that upfront investment. Um, and you hope that your product is successful enough to sell through so that you paid off all of that upfront investment. Calling us up or a 3D printing company up, you're able to call them up and say, here's the design for my file. And you might spend like $100 to get a prototype of the file. And that's your first production part. So your first part costs $100 rather than $100,000. Then you say, okay, I want 10,000 of these. Uh, Then it would be per cost per part, maybe... 10 to 25% more expensive than injection molding, but you don't have the mold. So very often, if you're doing mass production scales, where you're making tens of thousands of parts, it is cheaper to use printing up to about 100,000 units uh, rather than to go with traditional manufacturing. But that's only if you're going 10,000 parts and 10,000 parts printing, you can make stuff on demand which is more expensive per part because now you're in a couple dollars per part to print one single item at a time as each customer orders. But your risk is so much lower because you spent $100 to get started and verify it. And then your margins are a little bit smaller per part for the first thousand as you're doing this print on demand kind of component, but you're always profitable and you had basically zero upfront investment. So there's kind of like two tiers of Matching injection molding and scale and then actually taking advantage of printing where you can do on demand stuff um for kind of thinner margins but way less risk.
0: That's that's wow, that's it's insane. It blows my mind. I, I really love this this concept. Um and how long so you started about four years ago, correct? Mm-hmm. So how um, have there been any notable accomplishments like hitting the mainstream or getting like huge clients? What have been your notable achievements since you launched?
1: The, we don't hang our hat on too many of like the, the big wins because they're very they're intermittent and they don't always keep the boat afloat for the big wins and that kind of stuff. So we always focus within the company of like the little one percent improvements. How can we get just a little bit of an edge every single day and basically have that improvement compound over time? Because if you can improve just a tiny amount every single day, at the end of the year, you're like two or three times ahead of where you were. Because 1% every day is 360% at the end of the year. Um, But with that, the big wins that we've kind of had, probably one of the largest ones was the deployment of the mega farm here in Boise, which is one of the largest print farms on the planet, um, to where we have these thousands of machines that are able to uh, produce parts at a scale that's never been possible before with any kind of printing. Um, And the fact that that is interfaced to where someone can basically plug it into a Shopify or their their business purchasing system or whatever else it was and just upload files and then get an order on demand and do it affordably, that's
0: been a really, really big milestone. That's awesome, okay. Yeah, yeah, I understand with the 1% each day, it makes a big difference. And so you've obviously noticed over the last, over the last four years, I guess, there's been a boom in dropshipping and e-commerce, um, as well as like this AI revolution. Um, how have both of those affected or influenced your, your business? I assume the dropshipping was part of a reason you, you started this because it was such a huge, um, sector. So how have those influence those changes in the industry influenced your business? Two very different influences.
1: AI and dropshipping have yeah.
0: a decent amount of correlation, but yeah, very
1: different industries. Um, dropshipping absolutely was great in the beginning, but ever since the iOS 13 update a year or two ago to where online advertising has just fundamentally changed, the dropshipping industry has changed a lot. Um, Mainly for the better for us, because again, it gives people 3D printing gives people a differentiation that doesn't compare to anybody else. Cause drop shipping, you're either doing print on demand with t-shirts and mugs, which is super boring, and all of our sock drawers are full of that garbage, or you're in drop shipping straight from China, which is a really bad customer experience because it takes so long to ship over here. So you're either storing warehousing and that kind of stuff. So we we're in a really good position to help that industry because you're able to do truly original products but quickly delivered with low risk. Um, The way AI has impacted all of this stuff is it hasn't quite reached us because right now AI is still restricted to 2D art um, and writing and that kind of stuff, uh, which certainly helps with the marketing content and all of that kind of thing. Um, And even with the design of products, if you're like comparing to the t-shirt or artwork kind of component of drop shipping. Um, But, It's probably about two more years before AI gets good enough to really help with like 3D modeling. Um, Because right now 3D modeling itself is a a pretty technical process that requires technical skill of either being a game designer or an engineer or something else along those lines. There's a learning curve to that. Um, But generative AI makes the, the creation of 3D models basically free and unlimited. But I think the, the implementation of that will not necessarily be drop shippers. I think it'll probably go more of a direction of an everything store, unlike anything Amazon could ever do, where basically a customer goes to your website and searches for the thing. The AI runs in the background, designs 10 separate product variations of the things that you're looking for. You click on and buy the thing that you looked for that didn't exist a second ago. <laughs> um, and then the AI creates the model and sends it to the print farm which prints that one perfectly original product to what you asked for on the website. It becomes a web store with infinite inventory and exactly what a person is looking for rather than a large selection. It is whatever a person wants. It's, it's flipping
0: magic. That's wild. Is that what you guys are, are leaning towards?
1: Yes, we're getting pretty well positioned to take advantage of that as it, it comes down and it matures. Um, there's a lot of weirdness on the technical side of the AI component of it, but yes, we we have the scale to be able to support that um, and support the startups that will be working on that kind of stuff here. So they building a print farm is a really expensive thing because it's a factory. Um, and most startups who are, will be working with this don't have uh, the capacity to build the large factories. so hopefully we have those all in place to where we're kind of the the server farm for all of these guys to build on top of as they're messing with the the generative AI solutions like that.
0: Okay, amazing. And because your factories are very low on human interaction, does that mean they can run 24/7 365. Yes. Absolutely. That's, okay, that's wild. So what what is your what's your production capacity? Um I'm not sure what unit to use, but yeah, that's do you good. understand what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> uh no, that that's a really tough question to ask because if you're making a tiny little part, well we make millions a week or whatever, yeah. it was, but if you're making red box, then it suddenly becomes slower. Um, so there's not really a good uh, direct relationship to that other than like the number of machines. Um, so yeah, the the main mega farm is spec out for 3000 machines. Uh, we're working on another mega farm in uh, Texas that will be similarly sized. Um, and we hope to have about uh, three to four of them more in the States in about the next two years um, distributed around. So they basically act as fulfillment centers so that there's really a capacity and really good fulfillment rate. But math-wise, if we were comparing to like an Amazon, Amazon delivers 1.5 million uh, packages a day. If we were to like replace them so that rather than warehouses, you have these print farms that are warehouses where the shelves make the product, we would need about 1.5 million 3D printers, which is about 500 of our current mega farm factories around the world. But that's a very doable kind of, Creation. That's not like, oh, we need two million of these buildings around. It's, it's hundreds. It's not millions or thousands, which is a very tenable kind of a goal.
0: Um, it's not absurd. It's just kind of large. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm sure it'll get there one day. Yeah, Um, super exciting. I see so much potential here. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm definitely going to be following, following your journey. Um, I wanted to also ask you. I'm sure there've been some challenges in getting to where you are today in opening that first farm. Um, can you talk about any of those challenges and how you overcame them?
1: Oh, many, many of them. Uh, what the one of the largest things that we struggled with as a company um and many companies struggle with is, is just focus. But it was especially bad for us because, When you start a new company, you want to have a very detailed idea of who your customer is and a very, very small market segment so that you can really focus on and delight those core customers. Um, Start as niche and as small as you possibly can, and then you expand from there. problem that we had is that 3D printing can print anything. So what do you print? Where do you start? What is the industry that is ripe enough and strong enough and really loves it enough um to where you can really focus in on them um and that's been a challenge for a long long time because it's like people wander through the door of like i want a gamer joystick oh i want a medical device oh i want an aerospace part and for a long time we kind of in order to pay the bills you do whatever people ask you to do but for long-term growth and that kind of stuff it has to be super super focused um and that's something that we have struggled with and continue to struggle with but it it dilutes you so much that it's really tough to try everything so you just have to iterate super fast to get to that core product market fit um what we ended up finding was uh really for us one of the core places that works really well is like etsy because there were a lot of people who had like small print farms who were producing product on etsy but then don't have the scale to really expand for like christmas season or if one of their products pops off so we found product market fit with those folks to where we could really add value by giving them a lot more scale and allow them to focus on creating products rather than focus on the logistics of printing it apart and putting it in a box and shipping it out. So that was kind of one of the first kind of core audiences. Um, and then on the industrial side, the sales team found a few core markets there that we could really focus on and take care of that we can then expand from. But yeah, the the finding that core group of customers whose eyes just light up when they get your product and see your product and use your product. Um, that was a challenge for a long time because there were just so many options that we could go. Um, and there's plenty of people with like a lukewarm response, but then you're not really adding anything to the industry. They're just like, yeah, well, you or the other guy, whatever. <laughs> uh, so that was a big challenge. And then just hardware is hard. Building a factory is flipping hard. Um I, my, my background, I had done a lot in software and that kind of stuff for a long time, but I was always in robotics, so I knew hardware was hard. But the, the challenge that a lot of people come to, especially if you were like in a software background or, or the traditional startup background, you're used to kind of this idealized world of the internet where you have full godlike control of your website or your app or whatever it happens to be. Um, and that disappears as soon as you go into the real world. You are now dealing with just physics. And the rotation of the earth and whatever else happens to go wrong, the humidity that day can jack up all your perfect plans. Um, so building hardware that's reliable and durable and scalable um, is really tough and also just really expensive because um, a bit costs nothing, but a bolt costs a ton. Uh, so that, those were kind of the uh, some of the big challenges there. Like building physical stuff is really, really hard um, and having a good focused customer base, when you can do anything is really, really hard.
0: hundred percent. And have you, have there been any um, partnerships or collaborations that have helped you achieve what you have um, IE funding or anything like that, or have you bootstrapped the, the business? The business has been able to be bootstrapped for the large uh, portion of it there.
1: Um, because we, the model itself helps that. I mean, we don't have to outlay capital except for building the factory on any given job. Um, So we're able to be paid as we go as well as the customer gets paid as they go. Um, So it's an easier model to bootstrap because there's not this big old two year R&D process where we got to like build it all out. We're able to get to a dollar pretty quickly and we have a really big focus on getting to the customer. Because if you're just thinking big thoughts in a room it's really not useful and you don't really have a company. So go get somebody to pay you somewhere somehow. Um, But uh, as far as the partnerships go more broadly, um, our industry is really, really odd because it's focused on a completely different thing than what we do. 3D printing is focused on selling machine to machines to individual consumers, which is completely backwards from what we need in order to do like mass production, because um, everything's all backwards of how what the product goals are. Um, we want the printer to be invisible. Other, everybody else wants the printer to be in the house. Um, so it, it's a tough mismatch there to be able to partner with other folks in the industry, but we have great folks in like supply, um, who like give us materials and, uh, a number of software partners who have been good in helping to expand kind of the reach of it through like software design and modification and like the long-term sort of AI partnerships and that kind of stuff where cool stuff will be coming out over the next
0: couple of years. Okay. that That's, that's amazing. I can't wait for the day where I can just type what I want, and it's created and printed and sent to me, that's it's going to be wild. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, we are running out of time. I just checked. I completely lost track there. But I've really enjoyed learning more, and I'm definitely going to continue learning more after this. But if you had to give one piece of advice for let's say business owners looking to succeed in your industry um, in terms of printing side and business owners looking to sell products that they can print with your machines. What advice would you give them?
1: Start uh, cranking stuff out. Just give it a shot because the the cost of entry is so low that you can start experimenting really quickly. Um, It's like, yeah, it's like the cost of building a website back in the early days was basically zero if you could kind of find some high school kid who could do it for you. Um, And the up, the upside is just so huge. So find like a designer on Fiverr or go find some models. And if you have a marketing channel, just give it a shot. Start throwing stuff out because you can actually experiment with it. And it basically costs nothing to get started um, compared to so many other places. Um, Yeah, it it expands experimentation and the success rate from that uh, just goes way up because you're able to try so much stuff until you find the thing that actually works,
0: which has never been possible except in software until now. Okay, amazing. Well, I appreciate that so much, and uh, thank you for your time today. No what problem. is the what What's the best way for people to reach out to Gabe Bentz or Slant 3D if they want to make use of your your printing or want to follow your journey? Oh, I really recommend watching the YouTube channel if
1: you're interested in the Slant 3D stuff. Um, if you want to reach out to me, LinkedIn is kind of my main social profile. Um, so yeah, hit me up over there. It's Gabe Bents. There's nothing special about it. And (laughs) Slant3D is the channel on YouTube. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you.